This is the fifth message in our six-week series uh, through the book of Colossians. And uh, we looked at the introduction in chapter 1, the beginning of chapter 1, and um, we looked at the doctrine, the end of chapter 1, week 3, we finished chapter 1 with the disclosure. And then in week 4, we got right down to the real reason why Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit, penned this letter to the Colossian church, and that was to diffuse harmful doctrine that had crept in to the church. And uh, they were trying to add to the salvation that only comes through Jesus Christ. And so we talked about some of the false teaching that plagued the church then, and, and as you remember, some of the same false teaching plagues the church now. There are all kinds of Uh, People, all kinds of denominations, all kinds of groups that are trying to add to Jesus' finished work on the cross. And it's not necessary. And so we need to pray for discernment and we need to be wise and and really measure everything we hear up against God's Word. And so we need to to be faithful to the Scriptures. Well, tonight we're in chapter 3 and we're going to try to cover the entire chapter and the first Six verses of chapter 4. And so as you can see, there's a lot of information we're going to go through. And because there's so much information that we're going to go through and so uh, much scripture that we're going to try to digest tonight, I wanted to kind of give you a summary statement because I know that many of you are tired, you just got off work, and you've been using your brain all day, and now here you sit and you look at the outline and you're like, oh my word, this looks like a test. Well, if you don't quite get all the stuff, I'm going to give you one sentence, okay? One summary sentence for chapter 3 and the first six verses of chapter 4, and it is this, Christ in us transforms every area of our life. That's the sentence. Christ in us, and remember, that's the mystery that Paul said was hidden from generations for ages, but now has been revealed to us, is manifest in us. And the mystery is this, Christ in us is the hope of glory. And so tonight he gives some direction. He diffused the doctrinal delusion. Now he's going to give them some direction, some practical things Practical ways that Christ transforms us. So Christ in us transforms every part of our life. If you leave with nothing else tonight, I hope you leave with that. But let's take a look at our text. And uh, we'll read the whole thing together. This will be more Bible than some of you have read all week. So I'm glad you came. But uh, I'm going to take, let's be patient and walk through this. because, Because my words don't mean much. God's word means everything. And uh, God has not promised that Dave's words will not return void. That happens all the time. Just ask my wife. He has promised that his words will not return void. So let's take our time. We'll read through chapter 3 and the first six verses of chapter 4. Paul writes, If then, and that's better translated. Some of you have different translations that say, Since you were raised. And that, that's, a, that's a better translation because it's not if you were raised. If you trusted in Christ and Christ is in you, then you were raised with Christ. So since you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, 
not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, because of all of this, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Verse 18, wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. And there is no partiality. Chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I, all, I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. That's our text for tonight. And we're going to take a walk through this text. And, and it was overwhelming when I thought, man, I have to cover a whole chapter and six verses in one night. But if you'll study through this passage, you'll see a natural progression of how Christ transforms us as believers. And he starts with us personally. And then it progresses, and it talks about our relationship uh, with Him individually, and then it expands to our relationship with others, then it goes into our home and our relationship with each other in the home, and then in the workplace, and then to, in our relationship with those who are outside the church. And so there's a real natural progression here, and hopefully uh, you'll see that along with me before we leave. Before we uh, jump into how Christ uh, transforms every area of our life, I want to remind you of, of our salvation. And our salvation uh, isn't just a, 
once and done thing. God starts something, He continues something, and He finishes something. Not that we're saved in three parts, but we're kind of saved in three tenses, if you will. So if you look back to the moment you trusted Christ for your salvation, you turned from your sin, you trusted in Jesus Christ, in that moment, He saved you. He justified you in your spirit. That was past tense. You were justified. It was just as if you had never sinned. Justified in your spirit. He quickened your spirit, made you alive in Him. You once were dead, now you're alive. You once were dark, and now you receive light. And in that moment, you were freed from the penalty of sin. Okay? So that happened then. You, you trusted in Jesus Christ, past tense. You, immediately you were justified in your spirit. That frees you from the penalty of sin. But now, in the present tense, you are being sanctified in your soul by His Holy Spirit. And your soul is the mind, the will, the emotions. God is making you like His Son, Jesus Christ. He is, he is sanctifying you. He's setting you apart. It's a, it's a process that you're still in right now. And some of you are further along than others. But it's, it's, it's where we are presently, okay? It's our sanctification and what our sanctification does, it's a process that frees us from the power of sin in our lives. Okay, Freed from the penalty of sin. Now we're being freed from the power of sin. This process will not end until we go to glory. Okay, We're still in process, all of us. All right, But then there's a future tense to our salvation. And this future tense points to the day that we will be glorified in our bodies. So we're justified in our spirit, sanctified in our soul, and one day we will be glorified in our body. And that frees us from the presence of sin. We'll just lay aside these old sinful bodies and Jesus will glorify us. He'll make us like himself. And so that's kind of how our salvation is laid out. And again, I pointed out that we are in the present. We are being sanctified in our soul. And that's what Paul is talking about here in chapter 3. He gives us direction regarding our sanctification, the partnership of our will and the will of the Holy Spirit, submitting our will to His will, becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. And so in Christ, as we're sanctified, we are transformed in every area of our life. The first area that we're transformed in, we see in verses 1 through 12, we're transformed personally, personally. That's number one. He says, if you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died. You died. When Christ died, you died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. So when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. And so we are to seek and set our mind on things that are above. You may have heard the phrase, don't be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. I'll just be honest with you. I've never been guilty of that. And I don't think you have either. Let me tell you what I, what I do most of the time. I am so earthly minded that I am of no heavenly good. Because I don't set my mind on things above. I set my mind on things below, down here. I am obsessed with the horizontal. And I forget that none of this appeals to me anymore because I am crucified with Christ. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. And so I live for things above. That's my real life. The psychologist says, look within. The opportunist says, look around. The optimist says, look ahead. The pessimist says, look out. God says, look up. Look up. Fix your mind. Set your mind on things above. Because that is spiritually where you are now in Christ. 
We're seated in heavenly places. Nevertheless, practically speaking, our feet are still planted right here. And we deal with earthly things, don't we? And so there are some things, Paul says, that we must daily do as part of our sanctification. The first thing is found in verses 5 through 7. Letter A, the things that we put to death. There are things that we put to death because we're in Christ. In Romans 6, 11, I think the Apostle Paul hailed from Texas because he uses the word reckon. Did you ever say reckon? I reckon. I reckon. Well, Paul says in Romans 6, 11, likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are dead to some things now that you're in Christ. And you just need to bank on it. You say, well, I don't feel dead to those things. Well, you need to reckon it. Okay? Set your mind on things above and say, I'm dead to the other things. Because we are in Christ, He died, we died with Him, He was raised, we were raised to walk in newness of life, therefore we should be dead to some things. He lists a few overarching things that we are to put to death. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. And these sins, you know, you can, you can kind of list them out and, and summarize them in three categories. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. Those are the big three. Satan's bait throughout mankind's existence has been the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. The lust of the eye is covetousness. We want, we want, we want. It's never enough. We just want more. The lust of the flesh is evil desire and passion. And the pride of life is idolatry. Those three, the big three. And Paul says, put those things to death. Mortify them. Mortify them. You are dead to those things. There's a story about St. Augustine following his conversion where he passed by one of his former mistresses on the street. Awkward. <laughs> He's walking down the street. He looks up. There's one of his former mistresses before he knew Jesus. And uh, he saw him. He saw, he saw her. I think it was her. Uh, she saw him. He walks across the street. She tries to get his attention. She shouts out. Augustine, it is I. And he said, yes, but it is no longer I. You know why? He mortified the sins of the flesh. He's like, you don't understand. I was crucified with Christ. I know I live, but I don't live for myself anymore. I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. I'm setting my mind on higher things. I'm dead to that. I'm dead to that. So in the morning... When you wake up, you need to remind yourself, I'm dead to that. Somebody once said, every morning there should be a funeral and a coronation. We should die to old sin and we should crown Christ king. Every morning. 2 Corinthians 5.17, our kids are memorizing this. They're quoting this tonight uh, in their children's ministry. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So there's things that we put to death. And then letter B, there are things that we put off. Look at verses 7 through 9. Put off anger, wrath, malice. And what's malice? It's kind of an old-fashioned word. It means put off ill will, the desire to injure people. 
if you have ill will towards someone or the desire to injure, put, put that off. Put off anger, wrath, malice. Blasphemy, which could be slandering God. It could be slandering men and their reputation. Filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Put that off. And so in the morning when you wake up, before you put your clothes on, put those things off. And by the way, it's a daily exercise. Every single day. I heard uh, the former pastor of First Baptist Church, Eulis, way back in the day, Claude Thomas. He came to Liberty when I was a student there and preached a convocation. And he shared a morning ritual of putting off and putting on. He said, every morning when I wake up, the first thing I do is I get out of bed, I get on my knees, and I put my hands flat down on the bed like this, palms down. And I start confessing sin in my life. Anything that comes to mind, Holy Spirit, bring sin to my mind that I need to confess to you. And he said, I confess sin, and I just say, let this sin, let this evil, anything that displeases you, let it just run out of my hands right now, onto the floor. Just empty me of anything that resembles my old life before Christ. And then when I feel like that's done, and he said, sometimes it takes a long time, then I flip my hands over, and I say, now fill me up with your Holy Spirit every day. Every day. Isn't that a great practice? Put off the sinful things. Put off the old man. Put off those old things of your old life. And then there's some things, letter C, that we need to put on. Look at verses 10 through 12. He says, put off those things like anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy. But then he said, put on, in verse 10, tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, That sounds like a new identity, doesn't it? Those are the things that don't come naturally. Those are things that come supernaturally. And we're to reflect the image of Christ because we were raised to walk in the newness of His life. I love verse 11 here in chapter 3 where Paul says, There's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, nor free, but Christ is all and in all. That basically means your race is not your identity. There's a lot of people that use race as their identity. It trumps everything. They introduce you by, I'm this, and they they identify their race. But that's not your identity anymore in Christ, because you're in Christ. There's neither slave nor free, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, but Christ is all and in all. Your job is not your identity. Your social status is not your identity. Your political party is not your identity. Jesus is your identity. You are in Him and He is in you. And you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Christ in us not only transforms you personally, but He also transforms you, number two, socially. Look at verses 13 through 17 talks about he shifts from the personal pronoun you, you put off, you put on, and he broadens it to one another, bearing with, forgiving, loving, teaching, admonishing, singing, and doing everything in relation to one another in the name of Jesus Christ. You see the expansion from personal change to social change, personally, socially. It has to do with how you interact with other Christians. John 13, 35, Jesus said by this, 
All will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. How do we treat each other in the body of Christ? How do we treat each other in the church? Because it matters. It really does. I wish I could tell you that when a person got saved, that God gives them a glorified personality. But He doesn't. He doesn't. I've discovered that if a person was weird before they knew Jesus, they're probably going to be weird after they know Jesus. It's just real, isn't it? You've heard the phrase, if you go find a perfect church, don't join it because it won't be perfect anymore. That's true. And the church is not a museum where you walk through and you find Christian works of art that have figured it all out. No, the church is a hospital filled with hurting people, filled with people that are dysfunctional and have baggage. You know what else I've learned? Everybody has something in their life that they carry with them. Everybody. I don't care what they look like. I don't care how they project. Everybody's got something. We are all flawed. We are all fallen. And we're all recipients of God's grace. And we all need an equal amount. You were just as lost as I was. But God saved us. And then he gathered us into his body. And now we're a bunch of dysfunctional, grace-filled people. Trying to bear with one another. Why do you think Paul used that word? Bear with one another. You know what that means? Put up with each other. And sometimes it's hard. Amen? Amen. amen. You better say amen. Or I'm going to feel bad up here. But we are all works in progress, so there has to be some bearing with one another. We forgive one another. By the way, why would he say that we're supposed to forgive one another if there was no offense? You're going to get offended. You're going to get offended by Christian people. Remember I said there's weirdos out there. Sometimes they're offensive. But when you're offended, you forgive. Why? Because wrath and malice and bitterness was from the old man, and he died. When Jesus died, he died. And when Jesus rose, this new man rose. And, you know, what you said hurt me, but I forgive you because I've hurt other people. And I've received grace. And I've been forgiven. Proverbs 27, 17 says that iron sharpens iron. Well, when iron hits iron, sparks fly sometimes. And sometimes we have to admonish one another. Sometimes we have to rebuke one another. But then we forgive and we extend grace and we love and we keep going, right? Chuck Swindoll, I think it was in our Sunday school lesson last week, somebody said, it. I, maybe it was uh, Howard Hendricks, he said, Christians are like a bunch of porcupines huddling together for warmth, but we poke each other in the process. <laughs> it's true. But Christ transforms us personally. Christ transforms us socially. The fact that you're saved should change the way you interact with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Number three, Christ transforms us domestically, domestically. Look at chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. In a very succinct way, Paul marches through the designations in the home. And he starts with wives. Ladies first. Verse 18. He said, wives, let her A, submit respectfully. 
Wives, submit respectfully. Now, I know that submission is often viewed negatively in our culture. People misinterpret it, thinking that it makes women out to be less than men, and that is totally not true. Biblical submission is like Jesus, who is God, submitting to the Father, who is God. It is a voluntary subjugation of equals. You see that? That's why it's so hard. Ladies, can I get a witness? Amen. Amen. Why is it so hard to submit to my husband? Because I'm smarter than him. That's why. And guys, we know that's true. You know it's true. That's why it's so difficult. In fact, I would say it's impossible were it not for Christ in you. Christ in you transforms us in every area of our life, personally, socially, domestically. And women, when, when, when you hear in God's Word, submit to your husbands respectfully, your sin nature just rises up in you and you're like, mm, not today. <laughs> but Christ says, trust me. Trust me. This was my idea. Trust me. Sometimes it's not always easy but it fulfills the purpose of God. Jesus prayed in the garden, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Aren't you glad Jesus submitted to his Father when he went to the cross? I am. Submission is difficult, but it serves a purpose, and you just have to trust God. Verse 19, husbands, love unconditionally wives submit respectfully husbands love unconditionally ladies if you think submitting to your husbands is a tall order try loving wives unconditionally guys can I get an amen amen, amen. be careful now you <laughs> you stepped in it right there you weren't supposed to respond but uh, let's just be honest let's get real okay marriage is an as is agreement like when you go buy a car and it says as is, what do you just know? You know that there's going to be some problems. And the guy's being real, up front with you, as is. You can't bring this back. That's marriage. When you show up on your wedding day, there should be a sign that says as is on your potential spouse. There are no warranties given on your wedding day. So how can we love someone unconditionally, guys? Only by Christ in us. That's the only way. This, this is a whole other message, but let's march on down this, this text. Verse 20. Children, obey willingly. Wives, submit respectfully. Husbands, love unconditionally. Children, let her see. Obey willingly. Man, kids will take you to your high, highest heights of joy and your lowest lows of sorrow. Amen. And uh, I'm convinced that God gave our parents, our, our kids, two parents. Because had it just been me, we'd have been a Dateline special a long time ago. <laughs> I'd have probably ended up killing, killing one of them. i got to be honest with you. But thankfully, my wife was there to say, why don't you take a break right now? I'll step in. And then when she had had it, I tagged, tagged out and came in. Anyway. It's tough. 
But God's perfect plan is for children to obey. And parents, it's our jobs to teach that. It's to teach our kids about authority and why it's there. I remember uh, Ed Young saying this one time, until we learn to get under what God has placed over us, we'll never be over what God has placed under us. Everybody submits to authority, and it starts at home. Kids have to learn how to submit to authority. If they don't submit to authority at home, they won't submit to authority at school. If they don't submit to authority at school, they won't submit to authority on the job. If they don't submit to authority at the job, they won't submit to authority that's driving around with lights on top. And if they don't submit to that authority, they will be forced to submit to authority in prison. It's a journey that ends in death. And it's our responsibility to teach submission to authority. Children are to obey willingly. And, and I question my little boy's salvation on a regular basis because he's not doing this. I was like, Drew, Christ transforms us. You should obey your dad. He actually told me one time, I, I want to, but it's so hard. With tears running down his face. Because I'm a sinner. Me too. Me too. And then finally under this uh, domestic section here, verse 21. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Don't provoke them. Fathers, lead reasonably. Lead reasonably. I think so many times I provoke my kids to wrath because I'm inconsistent. I'm a flaky father. And it's sin. And I, and I strive to, to not be a do-as-I-say-but-not-as-I-do kind of dad. Because kids will do as I do, not as I say. And so I want to back it up with example. I want to lead by a loving, reasonable example. Josh McDowell would always say this, rules without relationship leads to rebellion. But I would add to that, relationship without rules will lead to resentment. If you don't set boundaries... If you don't instruct them in obedience, they'll resent you. But be reasonable. Understand which hills are worth dying on as a dad. Just figure it out. So fathers lead responsibly. So Jesus in us transforms us personally, socially, domestically. And then in verses 22 of chapter 3 all the way through verse 1 of chapter 4, Christ in us transforms us vocationally. Let's talk about work. Who here tonight are employees? Raise your hand. Okay. Who here tonight would call yourself an employer? Raise your hand. Let's gang up on the bosses. There's one. I'm just kidding. There's only one. You're outnumbered, man. I'm sorry. But uh, no, this, this applies to both. He addresses both in this passage. Um. There, there's, there's employees, there's employers, and employees should be sincere. Letter A, there should, we should be sincere in our work. Sincere employees. What do I mean by sincere? I mean we should be responsible, reliable, rewardable employees for the glory of God. Wherever we work. Not just when the boss is looking. Not just... With eye service as men pleasers. Is he watching? No. All the time. 
whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus. Verse 17. But he also talks about employers. Letter B, we should be sensitive employers. Chapter 4, verse 1. You need to understand that you have a master. And one day you'll stand before that master and give an account of how you treated those for whom Christ died. That served you. All right, let's do a little psychological exercise. I want everybody to close your eyes, which is dangerous for a preacher to say, but everybody close your eyes. I want you to envision, all of you who are employees, I want you to envision your boss. Picture him right now. I know it's painful, especially for me. (laughs) He's right on the front row here. No, envision your boss. Those of you that are employees or employers, close your eyes and envision your employees. Okay, get a picture. Are you picturing Jesus? Because if you're an employee, that's who you work for. If you're an employer, those that serve you, Jesus came to die for them. He values them. He cares for them. All right, you can open your eyes if you're awake. Everybody wake up. Everybody wake up. Okay. We have a responsibility as believers, and and Christ in us should make a difference in our workplace should make a difference in our workplace there's a great song by casting crowns it's called life song and they have a great line in there that came to mind when i read whatever you do in word or deed do all in the name of the lord jesus christ whatever you do and the line from that song is i want to sign your name at the end of each day knowing that my heart was true Think about that. I want to live my day in such a way that I can sign your name to it. That's amazing. Let my life song sing to you. Christ in us should impact where we work. He should transform us vocationally. Moving right along, and finally, tonight, in, verse, in chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, Christ in us transforms us missionally, missionally, missionally. In 2 through 6, in a very succinct way, Paul shifts their attention back to them and what they've been called to do, which is carry the gospel to the Gentiles. And he implores them to pray for them earnestly, praying earnestly, letter A, verses 2 through 4. Praying earnestly, he asked the believers to pray earnestly for themselves and also that he and others would have an open door to share the gospel. And we should always talk to God about men before we talk to men about God. You know why? Because it is God who opens people's eyes to the truth of the gospel. It is God who convicts hearts of sin. It is the spirit that draws. And so before you go out and you start telling men about God, why don't you talk to God about those men and say, God, I want to share my faith with so-and-so. Would you work on their heart starting right now? Holy Spirit, open their eyes. Let them be open to what I have to say. Work on them. It is God who enlightens the dark mind and enlivens the dead heart. 1 Corinthians 2.14, Paul says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. We should pray earnestly for people who don't know Christ as Savior. Whose soul are you praying for? 
the 7th century, 17th century English Puritan Richard Baxter wrote this. He said, Oh, if you have the hearts of Christians, or even of men in you, let them yearn towards your poor, ignorant, ungodly neighbors. Alas, there is but a step betwixt them and death and hell. Many hundred diseases are waiting, ready to seize on them, and if they die unregenerate, they are lost forever. Have you hearts of rock that cannot pity men in such a case as this? If you believe not the word of God and the danger of sinners, why are you Christians yourselves? If you do believe it, why do you not bestir yourselves to the helping of others? We should be praying passionately for those that don't know Jesus. Paul urged the Colossian believers to do so. John Knox, a pastor in Scotland, prayed this prayer, Give me Scotland, God, or I die. That's earnest prayer right there. George Whitfield prayed, O Lord, give me souls or take my soul. We must be praying earnestly. Praying earnestly as we live on mission. Second, in verse 5, we must be walking wisely. Walking wisely. And when I want to, you know, we could talk, there's so many messages in Colossians chapter 3 and Colossians chapter 4, but let me just ask you a few questions. Is Jesus Christ your life, or is he a category in your life? Do you pigeonhole Jesus just to Sunday mornings, or does Jesus permeate every facet of your life? Does your lifestyle reflect the Lord? Matthew 5, 16, Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. 1 Peter 3, 15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. The only way they'll ask is if they see it. And then when they ask you, answer with meekness and fear. We need to be praying earnestly. We need to be walking wisely. And finally, we need to be speaking graciously. Verse 6. Speaking graciously. Your words are seasoned with salt, but you have grace. You're speaking the truth in love with meekness and fear and humility. You know, I don't know if, well, I kind of know this, but I know you're not an Eagles fan, right? Anybody say... They were an Eagles fan on Sunday? Okay. I know a few of them. <laughs> I know a few of them. Yeah, Drew started rooting for the Eagles because he asked me who I thought would win, and I said the Patriots, so he, autom- he automatically picks the opposite and roots for them. But then he found out that several of the Eagles players had trusted Christ this year. And I think since that coach has been there, maybe 28 guys have trusted Christ as their Savior. And so it was neat to see after the game, the Eagles head coach, Doug Peterson, the tight end, Zach Ertz, who caught the winning touchdown, the MVP quarterback, Nick Foles, they all publicly gave glory to God, didn't they? That was awesome. Ertz and Foles both began their statements, all glory to God. And the head coach thanked his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for the win. Why? Because he had a platform to do it. And he's like, here's my chance. Here's the open door. I've been walking wisely with my testimony. Word has gotten out that I'm a Christian. Now I'm going to speak with grace. And he spoke graciously. 
He was humble. He was gracious. He was kind. He was loving. I think we struggle with this here in Texas. Speaking graciously our faith. Uh, there's a lot of ways that we fail, but I just, I just want to just talk about this for a second. We have to speak the truth, yes, but we have to speak the truth in love, right? We speak graciously. Um, the truth must be all wrapped up in and covered up in love. Truth, yes, but love. Um, Valentine's Day is just around the corner. I don't like cherries, but if you cover them up in chocolate, I may eat one or two. Cherries are supposed to be good for you, so I hear. They contain vitamin C, but I will not eat a cherry unless it is all covered up in chocolate. We can learn something from that, right? Spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. You may have heard this. People don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. True. It's true. So let me ask you a couple questions. Does your social media feed reflect the love of Jesus? His forgiveness? His grace? You can be right about something, but you can be right in a wrong way. And we speak truth. And by the way, let's just, let's just say, we're right, they're wrong. Okay? It's true. We're right. They're wrong. They will never care about that if they don't know how much you care about them. And one of the things I admire most about the late Jerry Falwell was his love for people that he adamantly disagreed with. When he died a couple years ago, there were a lot of liberal commentators that were verbally dancing on his grave. You saw him on TV. It was disgusting. But Geraldo Rivera, when interviewed and asked about Jerry Falwell, because he had interacted with him on heated debates and on different TV programs, he said this. He said, there wasn't another man on the planet that I disagreed with more, but I knew he loved me. Isn't that powerful? He said, when the cameras were on, we were going for each other's jugulars, debating almost everything. But when the cameras were off... He asked me about my kids. He knew about my family. He loved me. Blew his mind. That's a a great testimony. He spoke graciously. And so if we speak the truth to our culture, but it is not accompanied with the tears for their lost condition, we're missing something. There's a great example of our Lord in, in Luke 13 34 through 35, he, he overlooks Jerusalem with his disciples. And he says some of the harshest things about a people or a city that you could ever say. But I want you to hear the tone behind what he said. Luke 13, 34 through 35, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, that's all true. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. That's love. But you were not willing. 
Later on, Luke 19, 41 through 44, says he drew near to the city and he wept over, over it. Why? He was right. They were wrong. He was heartbroken for them. He loved them. He says, you don't even know. On this day, the things that make for peace, you don't even know you're missing it. Your Messiah is here. I've come for you, and you, you don't even know. And so because of this, your enemies will build a barricade around you. They'll surround you. They'll hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children with you, and they will not leave one stone upon the other in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. He said that with tears streaming down his face, not in anger, excited for the day that they would be judged. No. If it doesn't bother you that someone will spend an eternity separated from God in hell, you need to go back to that personal transformation. You need to put to death some things. You need to put off some things. You need to put on the heart of God. Because you're missing it. You're right all day long, but they don't care because there's no tears. God, break our hearts for people. Help us to pray earnestly, walk wisely, and speak graciously to them. Well, as you look through this whole passage of Scripture, a whole chapter, the first six verses of chapter four, you probably feel overwhelmed by the comprehensive scope of this transformation but we must remember that it is only made possible through Christ in us. Notice all the points I gave you tonight, they end with A-L-L-Y. You know why? Because Christ is our ally. He's our ally. What is an ally? Well, it's one that you unite with or form a relationship with to achieve victory. It's the only way we can walk in His grace. The only way we can be led by the Spirit is Christ in us. He's our hope. He's also the hope of the world. So I'll close with a few questions. Can the watching world see him in you? Personally, socially, domestically, vocationally, missionally? If not, there's things, there's things we need to put to death. There's things we need to put off. And there's things we should put on. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And I thank you for Paul's challenge, his direction to us. Uh, Lord, it's not that the Christian life can be lived in our strength because we know that's impossible. We can't do it. We can't do it. And if we fail in any of these areas, it's because we've failed to submit to your Holy Spirit. And so tonight I pray that you would help us to bend our will to yours, help us to lay down our pride put off our sin, and put on the new man. Help us to set our mind on things that matter, the things that are eternal. Help us to see people with your eyes. And Lord, break our hearts for souls. Once again, Lord, we, we're totally dependent on you. It's you and us. It's, it's you being our power, you being our might, you being our strength, you living through us for the glory of God. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.